Hey guys, it's me, Daniel, with Socratic Hobbits. Uh, we have a pretty interesting conversation for you with special guests, Isaac Matson and Jonathan Tolson. Uh, we really appreciate them for coming on. We talk about leadership and trust and truth. Hope you enjoy. What we're living in now is the, the first time in history, I guess, that, uh, that the tribalism is not governed from geography shaping the ideals but the ideals themselves are shaping the different tribes. Isaac, who are you? Why are we talking with you? What are we talking about? You got any ideas? Yeah. Um, my name is yeah. Isaac. Okay. I'm a, a professor at Washington State University in extension agronomist. So what I do is I work with farmers on developing better ways to grow oilseed crops. I also teach soil fertility and fertilizer management. And I also, let's see, that would be research. Well, and then extension. So that would be my extension in teaching. And then I'm also a researcher. So I, I do research on canola root growth mostly, but also fertil canola fertility and variety of other topics related to that. And I care about knowing things and knowing the truth. And that's why I'm here. Nice. <laughs> Kyle, can you talk that intro? I was gonna. I was gonna ask him if he wanted to talk about his adjunct position on here. No. no. <laughs> All right. And uh, Jonathan, why don't you introduce yourself as well? Uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm a uh, currently a almost graduated nursing student. I've been an EMT for about three and a half years. Um, I I dabble in in reading research papers and data, and I and I use dabble very literally. Mm -hmm. um, so, and I cool. also care about about the truth and, and knowledge. So this is why I'm here. What we're talking about today is, is COVID data um, and experience, like anecdotal experience, and then um, how those two things intersect. I think that we, initially when we had the text chat between the four of us, um, there was a lot of interesting topics kind of broached. Um, we obviously didn't get into it like via text because you can't have a you can have a super informed conversation via text, but it's difficult and it takes a really long time. Um, so yeah, Isaac, what would you, or Kai, or anybody rather, um, like what would you guys add as far as, as what we're talking about today? I think the, the thing that more broadly interests me right now is that we seem to be one of, one of the greatest problems that I see in culture and in the people I interact with is that we seem to have arrived at a spot in history where we can't agree various factions of, of our country, not, not even just our country, but of the world can't agree on what the truth is. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about truth in the sort of um, like philosophical sense. Yeah. And then like, even in the sort of like uh, what, what should be the truth, what, what, what the world should be like, mm -hmm. because I would say we, we haven't agreed on that for a long time and mm -hmm. very rarely in history has there been agreement on that, but that we can't even agree on what the truths occurring around us are, right? So we can't we can't agree on things as simple as um, was there an exceptionally high number of people um, that died this year, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that comes down to various levels of disbelief, right? So there's um, disbelief in who's telling it to you, and there's disbelief in in how the uh, how the data was analyzed, and then there's are you gonna um, just dis disbelieve all the data that was collected all together. And so that's that's the, the conversation Kyle was referencing from last night. I got into a bit of a debate with somebody on, on that because um, of, of what I think is the responsible and right thing to do if, if you want to know the truth and, and how to go about finding the truth on, say, a question as simple as, was 2020, was there an, an anomaly of uh, in the in the number of, fatalities that we had in 2020, as opposed to, say, the last decade or the last 20 years. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So I guess um, if, if you don't mind just saying like, okay, do you think there was an anomaly last year? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm glad we agree there because I did a different, I, I don't know how you got your data, but I took um, the deaths over the last uh, 15 years or 10 years and then compared it. And um if anything, it looked like COVID deaths were underreported, but Kyle made a really good point when I had brought that up with him. He's like, well, you know, which of those were related to, it, like there's many different causes that that could have been. Um, 
And so it's like, anyway, so as far as whether there were COVID deaths or not COVID deaths, it's kind of like it's all lumped together because there's a lot of people. I think you're, I think you're right. And that we can't like, or people have a really difficult time agreeing on what the truth is and even, um, and what's opinion and what's, uh, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's really difficult to parse it. Um, some of my friends choose to just stay out of news entirely and they just concern themselves with what's happening to themselves. Yeah. So Kyle, what do you think like related to all of that? Like, do you see the problem the same way that Isaac kind of laid out? Yeah. And I mean, part of this is goes back to conversations Isaac and I and Jonathan have had um, amongst ourselves and, and with others about how, like Isaac was saying, it doesn't come down to what is the ideal anymore. It comes down to, we aren't even talking about the same, we aren't even talking about what we're observing in the same way. And and we're, it almost is getting into this weird postmodern situation where the only thing I can believe is what I actually experience. And even that I doubt. Um, and when you get there, it becomes really difficult, if not impossible to have, to, to, to forge common ground. And one of the things Isaac brought up last night was the way that the, the, the technology purveyors of information are primarily Google and Facebook. Um, when you look at the, um, who's doing most of the information, who's carrying most of the information and because of their drive to, because at their core, they're, they are a business and they're, they've commoditized information that has, led them to i think they've commoditized attention which is which gives them so it's, so it's not it's not truthful information or it that they're interested in it's or it's not even information that they're interested in so much as it's our attention and then selling that to advertisers that's the problem is yeah am i yeah unless i'm misunderstanding no you. I, I think well, you you corrected that perfectly daniel yeah and i think the the best example of that probably is that um <clears throat> the sort of counter to that at the moment is the basic attention token, mm-hmm. right? Right. So it's, it, it is a cryptocurrency that is saying, Hey, we're going to pay you for your attention and let you donate it where you want to donate it. Right. So it is, it is that, but, but the, I think what Kyle's getting at is that the way they capture our attention is by feeding us the information we want to consume versus the information we need to consume. Mm-hmm. Right. So I, I think it's very much the, the food analogy works really well here. If, if you give actually, so I think I first heard this on Brett Weinstein. So credit where credit is due, right. He, he's basically comparing what we're doing with social media to the likeness of McDonald's. If, if you, if you just sell a sugar and salt, you can sell a lot of food, but you're not really, you're not really selling that much nutrition. And mm-hmm. so, and so I think that's, that's what, what they've learned um, specifically companies like Google and Facebook. And, and, and honestly, like I, I, I talk against Google and Facebook a lot. I don't believe they're being anywhere nefarious, right? Necessarily. I think they've done some things that are pretty nefarious, but <clears throat> I don't believe that's their intent. Right. What do you, when you say nefarious, what do you mean? Bad motives trying to do bad. <laughs> so trying to do bad, but they, I mean, I would define bad as putting, uh, like having profit, having an unrightful place over, you know, I don't know. See the so, thing is, yeah, is like, I would so, define it differently. I would say that just going for profit isn't a problem in my mind. Um, I would, would I, and maybe nefarious is the wrong word there. I would, I would differentiate between the two. Um, so, I was thinking more in the mind, uh, in the perspective of they've done some things which are purposely trying to shift public opinion, right? Kind of nudging, mm. and and that's different than just seeking profit. And so the the just seeking profit side of things, I think, like if you were going to call it a something wrong, it would be more negligence than yes. than actual seeking harm. Okay, I yes. can I can get on board well, with that. Well, Isaac, would you say that they are being purposely um, nefarious because what what my my impression is that they aren't necessarily being purposely nefarious. It's just you have a bunch of secular humanists who are attempting to regulate morality. And when you don't have an absolute anchor for your morality, you're going to be you're going to be blowing in the wind when it comes to what your moral standards are, and you're you're going to make decisions that are 
driven to a certain extent by the mob. Can you uh, restate that question for me, Kyle? Or so, so my question to Isaac is: is does he think that Google and Facebook are purposefully trying to nudge public opinion? I think this is a fairly easy question, but um, it, are Google and Facebook trying to move public opinion because they want bad for society or because they have a mistaken ideal? Yeah. So I think both of those, I, I think very, very rarely does a human of any nature set out to say, hey, I'm going to try and do the evilest thing I can do. Right, right. I would say occasionally that does happen, but <clears throat> it's, it's very rare. I would say what's what I find more far more common is that most like right i would say even in um at least in the beginning both stalin and mao were and hitler were were motivated by very great ideals actually right um mm-hmm. and and look where that landed right the the road to hell is paved with great with good intentions right and so very rarely do do humans sit out set out to do something in their eyes which is purposefully evil but what i'm saying is <clears throat> there's you can try and shift public opinion towards your viewpoint, which is something that Google and Facebook are doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the greater damage is done in the simple desire to increase profits, <clears throat> which is being, um, which, which I think is, there's nef- nothing wrong with that, with trying to increase profits. But what they've found increases profits is basically selling us, well, well making us spend our time, right? So spend our attention, which is what they get paid for on, pretty useless um, information or information that just already confirms our biases. Would you, would you um, consider this kind of a tragedy of the commons thing where it's like, okay, yeah, they're dumping into the, you know, river and the river caught on fire, but you know, so maybe we have to have some regulation there, but um, you know, I I mean, I would say it's terribly damaging, even though a river is not catching on on fire, but I remember when I could go out to eat or when that was more common and um, I would see mom and dad with three kids on their cell phones and the kids just begging for attention. And that's terrible to me. You know, like I, like I see that as, you know, uh, equally harmful to those kids as, as having, you know, bad water. Maybe not. I don't yeah. know. I'm, I'm probably. Uh, oh, I would say it's more hard. harmful. <laughs> okay. Sure. Um, okay. So, so then, so then, uh, but. Yeah, can can I um, just get a point of clarification? Are we talking about a tragedy of the commons or a negative externality here? And and are those two different? From okay, each other? so when you say so, when I say tragedy of commons, what I mean is um, a company is using and not paying for uh, kind of an external resource that's not kind of directly attributable to their operating costs. It's almost like a waste. It's a byproduct of some kind. When you say a can you use your phrase again? A, a negative externality. So, so how would you define that? So, I, I would define so the, the most common example to me of a negative externality, and and I think at a certain point you get semantic here between the different difference between tragedy to commons and a negative externality. But a negative externality would be like dumping waste into the river, right? So, <clears throat> um, if you're if you're a factory on the whatever was it the ohio river that yeah the ohio river is what's coming to my mind yeah and and they were basically polluting the river until it it got to the point where it light on fire yeah Um, twice obviously quite famously right the the difference between that and the tragedy of the commons to me is that the tragedy of the commons is there's some common resource that any of the individual players so i would think of everybody in the united states could monopolize or basically by overuse destroy right um <clears throat> whereas wouldn't consider the ohio river i would consider that like the epitome of a tragedy of commons well but, no difference... because because it's a single user um yeah. or, if, or or an oligarch of users versus the commons um being many many users so and the tragedy of the commons example would be like easter island where yes. you just overuse the resources because everyone's using a little bit too much yeah, and it would lead, lead to, and, and maybe this is a, a semantic point we need to not go down, and none of us, sure. I don't think, are ecologists, which are probably the, the true people we would need to answer that question. Well, and also, the farmers dumping into the river isn't directly affecting them, it's affecting someone else down the stream. The example of the farmers dumping into the river is going to be, uh, yes. uh, the example of the farmer dumping things to the river is only affecting things downstream, and the ecology downstream and other people. 
Whereas I guess my understanding of the tragedy of the commons is that you are worsening society for both yourself and other people. Okay. Yeah. And that's why Easter Island is such a great example, I think. Okay, sure. So I guess then I would be, you know, I'd be talking about a negative externality, which um, at least in the U.S., you know, specifically to that, like those businesses were, were then regulated in some way, I assume. I don't actually know, but I can't. Clean water and clean air acts, man. Yeah, sure. I, those sound those sound real, um, but there is a point at which profit is has such such drastic negative externalities that as a society we've said we're okay regulating these at some level. And and what I'm hearing you say is that either Facebook and Google are not at the point at which we need to regulate them, or they're not doing anything wrong because they're playing by the rules right now. Can you can you clarify you were mentioning something about society regulating profits and i'm just wondering if you have an example of that well i mean just to keep beating the dead horse like the companies were regulated uh, that dealt with the ohio river in such a way that they couldn't have those negative downstream effects anymore yeah so s- specifically and i don't know the legislation super well but those are those were considered point source pollution. So that would be pollution that comes out of actually a, a factory pipe. Mm-hmm. But um, in, in that instance, right, basically um, the laws were passed that you have to, what, what you're exporting from your factory has to be below certain levels in certain compounds. Right. Okay. <clears throat> so that, and yeah. Am I, am I losing the thread a little bit? Have I like, no, I, I'm curious, Daniel, what, what you were getting at when you were, I mean, we can keep talking about profit and um, regulating businesses in a way that impacts profit, but I think I'm a little more curious about what you were what you were asking Isaac earlier with um, the whole idea about Facebook or Google either being okay because they're playing by the rules as they stand right now, or um, not being at the point yet where we need to regulate them. Because I think I'm I'm guessing here, but I think most of us would say, I would say we've gone beyond the point where regulation would be helpful. Um, can I can I clarify my position there too, really quickly, yeah. Kyle? Yeah. I wasn't saying that I didn't think they shouldn't be regulated. I don't know that they should, and I don't know that they shouldn't. I would mm-hmm. be undecided on that. What I was saying more is <clears throat> there's two distinct motives here. And I think people... Um, tend to think that big tech is trying to push their side down when I think more frequently what is happening is big tech is playing for your attention in any way it can get it. And so whatever gets your attention, the best they will put in front of you. And so, um, and that's what I meant by the, the, the digression into nefarious, right? I meant they weren't, I don't think they're necessarily in some instances, they're clearly manipulating towards a certain outcome right? Suppressing anything having to do with um, election fraud, Um, maybe morally right, maybe morally wrong, but definitely they were trying to do something there political. There's what I I think is more common in causing more of our problems actually is where you're just fighting for the consumer's attention and that, that pull for attention Mm -hmm. is, um, is, is causing a lot of the issues we're seeing um, as far as a, an inability to agree on a descriptive truth, because if going back to the fast food analogy, if social media or whoever it is, wherever you get your information is feeding you what you want to see versus the information that is actually useful to making decisions and might actually cause you to question some of your assumptions and cause you to shift your viewpoint, mm-hmm. then <clears throat> if you're just being fed a steady diet of what you want to eat, you're never going to question you're not actually going to learn and change and have to learn the nuances to a position. You're just going to keep bolstering a week. And even worse than that, you're not going to be able to engage with someone else. Yeah. Yep. And you're going to balloon up to 300 pounds. I mean, of, of <laughs> analogy, right? <laughs> right. I mean, right. You're, you're going to become intellectually weak and, and you won't be able to discuss with anybody else. So that was um, in the discussion Kyle and I had with a mutual friend um, at a point in the discussion, I said, well, well, do do you trust the counties to report the number of people that have died in each county? And he wasn't really willing to say yes to that. And right wow. at that that point where we're at that level of distrust, 
no amount of data is actually going to be helpful because fundamentally what we're talking about is a complete breakdown in trust. And mm-hmm. if you have a complete breakdown in trust, in my opinion, you're only one step away from violence. Yeah, well, clearly we're very far away from violence because who can remember the last time anything like that happened? Um, but I think, uh, like, so my question specifically earlier, which I think we're past that, but I'm going to clarify for Kyle, was Isaac, you had said they're seeking profit uh, is fine. And I was pushing on that because profit at what cost, right? And I don't think that profit as a general motive is good or evil. It's kind of what corporations do. But the players, the individuals that own those companies understand that there's a cost. And you can see very simply that like, you know, Steve Jobs didn't let his kids have phones or like iPhones for, you know, until they were of a certain age. And I don't think that Mark Zuckerberg lets his kids use Facebook. And like, same with Twitter, same with Instagram. It's like the owners of those companies understand that there's something going on there that they're changing people's brains. And like, I don't know if either of you guys use Facebook a lot, but I know, I know people who have gone from heavy users of social media to switching off completely and they change. They like, I noticeably change. And if you suggest to people that they, um, that they quit, that they cut it out for a while and see what happens, it's almost like taking away someone's heroin. Like, the, the reactions that I get. And it's, um, anyway, I have digressed. And I literally at the beginning of the sentence said, I'm not going to, but you know, it, it just is what it is. Um, yeah. I, I, I really want to talk about that trust breakdown. Yeah. I think point. going, going a little bit along this profit line. Yeah. I, I was saying profit is of, of neutral value. It is the job of owners of a corporation to make their business as profitable as possible. What, no matter the cost. Yes, I would say in that limited sense, that is their job. It is the job of society as a whole to define whether that cost and the people in their moral conscience to decide whether we're going to allow that to happen, right? So, so I might, I might not take a job. Say they came to me tomorrow and were like, "Hey, do you want to be CEO of Facebook?" And it might compromise my personal morals to be CEO of Facebook because I really see that in my future, um, <clears throat> but. Hopefully, they might. Hopefully, Mark doesn't listen to this then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, it's more, it's more the board of Facebook that hopefully doesn't. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I don't know. Maybe Mark is going to start his own uh, space venture now that uh, Jeff and Elon <laughs> are off the races. He's got to catch up, man. Why not? Okay, sorry. Okay, so <laughs> you were going somewhere else so, when you started. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so more or less, what I was saying is, I don't think that. You can necessarily, I think we can obviously as society make judgments that affect businesses profit. And I have no problem with that. So I just looked it up. The river caught on fire in 1969. um, And then the uh, Clean Water Act was passed in 1972, which really ratcheted down on um, free enterprise. I have no problem with that ratcheting down on free enterprise. If societally we we decide that's what we want to do. I'm just saying in, in in the position of being the director of one of these companies or on the board of one of these companies, what you're really looking to do is increase your profit. And I don't hold that against them. Now, maybe I could say, well, if morally their compass was screwed on straight, <clears throat> they would say, Hey, this is actually like, I, I don't care how much I love profit um, uh, on it from a moral standpoint. I need to, to get rid of the, I need to not have this product. I need to not mm-hmm. design things this way. That that's fine. But in the limited scope of their position, as, as I guess company. I have a really hard time saying that somebody who like no matter the cost should should consider profit their highest ideal as a board of, as a member of the as a CEO as a member of the board of directors. Well, this um, actually gets into the question about what is the purpose of a corporation, Dan? That's an interesting question. I think it's I mean primarily I would say it's to provide goods and services and a living for people. And to um, why does like, it need to be a corporation to do that, though? Um, a corporation is how we've decided as a society to organize ourselves as as groups of people who are aimed towards the same thing. I don't think it needs to be a corporation. I think you and I could start producing items and selling them. But when it comes tax time, um, if you and I make too much doing that, they're going to kind of look askance at us and say, you guys seem like you're a corporation. And we also open ourselves up to more liability than we need to if we don't form a either an LLC or a something, right? 
A corporation right. is just people. And if you're saying that people can like choose to go after profit, no matter the cost, individuals, because it's it's never it's never an, an organization does not have a life of its own. The like tone gets set at the top mm. always. I, I I actually don't. I'm not sure. I, I believe that because again? I, I I'm not sure. I believe that. I'm I'm not. I'm not so, sure that. Yeah, I, I said a couple things. So what what don't you believe? Uh, that the the the, the 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 corp you said something to the effect of the, the corporation is is not its own thing it's it's just a group of people as if um it's it's simply the, the sum of the individual efforts i do believe that the individual instances right in that case the, the space station is simply the sum of a whole bunch of titanium and aluminum that we launched into orbit right <clears throat> i think that the combination of various pieces of things can actually change their nature in a way. And there's something aware. Right. So I, I think the logical fallacies associated with like, you can um, reduce something to the sum of its components or the sum of the components add up to something like those, like you're pointing out those, those two ideas don't necessarily connect. So um, Kyle, you've worked at two companies, right? And Isaac, how many different places have you worked? professionally within my profession i've worked at five places and we're i know you're a professor now so it's a a little bit different academia i think is different than a a normal corporation per se yeah so i've I've worked as an agronomist for an llc i've worked as an agronomist for an incorporation i've briefly um worked for myself as a private consultant oh have Um, we all and and then i've served as an adjunct um faculty yeah um okay well then i know from my experience i've worked at um uh yeah like five or six and for me i felt like i always knew who was making the decisions i never felt like the business was something you know i nothing i I never felt that it was its thing apart from the people i felt like a if certain people uh got taken out for any reason the parts would the big parts would just fall apart because the the group excuse me the group was like it and um and so you know and my dad's been in business for himself for you know what 40 years and i know i know plenty of people who've been in business for you know own their own business and done this thing and it's like they're just a person doing like working and i know for a fact that he would not it his experience and even some of the owners of these companies profit, no matter the cost is like, that is not part of the equation because they understand that they are like, even so though of, they, how many of those companies money. were publicly traded out of curiosity? None of them were. So, so maybe that's, maybe that's it. Maybe I think that is a difference it. between a public company and a private company. Yeah. And two of them, three, two of them were like very pride of themselves on being family owned. I mean, having worked at both a private company and a public company, I would say that the 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 pursuit or primary aim of the company is different if you're private versus or employee owned versus if you're public. For example, with the public company I worked for, the the bottom line talking about earnings was the primary driver mm. um, of okay. decisions, and and in, and in many ways, anyone there was replaceable. You could find some, maybe you couldn't find someone who could do their exact job, but you could find a combination of people who would be able to fill the role that they had in a timely enough manner to maintain Mm. profitability. That's really Um, interesting. Whereas at, at the employee owned company you work at right now, our, our stated goal is to make electric power safer, more reliable, and more economical. And so that's more similar to what you were describing earlier, Daniel, with providing goods and services to people and um, providing a living for people, and 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 the the president of the company purposely made the choice not to become a public company mm-hmm. because he saw that as a switch that he didn't want to make in mission. Sure. Um, so maybe what we're saying is we're just uh, against public companies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we decided. <laughs> what the correlation of of. Uh public versus private companies are in uh, unionization as far as like, I guess, how companies treat their employees as part of the culture in that conversation. Can you say the beginning of that again? I... Oh, I was just wonder, uh, 
I guess, the rate of unionization in public versus private companies. Uh, Jonathan, I think that'd be really hard to tease out because generally public companies are older and so are more likely to have unionization than a private company. Cool. So now we're talking about covariates. We're back onto my... We're back onto <laughs> statistics. Back on stats. Yeah. Well, it's actually it's two of the... Basically, the larger companies that I've worked at were both union. And then, I mean, and construction is at least in part, like there's a, a significant portion that are unionized. So I think it also depends a lot on the, the industry. I guess it just seems to me that companies who are more likely to be more focused on profits tend to be unionized and more private companies, which are maybe more focused on uh, the social good as well as profits tend to not be unionized um, because the larger, maybe more greedy companies need to be unionized to protect employee rights. Mm-hmm. That's possible. Yeah. But then what about Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, Google, Netflix? Those aren't big companies. They treat their employees great. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's right. Because they don't care about profit. And I think it's interesting that you said social good. I don't think that the companies that I've worked for that have been really focused on, um, they they focus on their employees and their customers. Like those are the two people that, like groups of people that they're concerned with. Um, And not like lobbying or, I don't know, social good per se. Like I've heard certain CEOs make political statements about social good and who they stand with and who they don't. And they I've never heard anything like that. It's more like how we can take care of employees and how we can take care of customers. And yeah. Yeah. And I think that actually is, is a really great segue because it actually leads us into this discussion of truth sort of in a roundabout way, right? Because one of those is, is attempting to sort of uh, design the world from sort of a, a strategic perspective of not um, not here's how I'm going to love the neighbor next door to me, but here's how I'm going to push these ideals out. And the and the other one, and this is going to take a little while to get to. Trust me, it'll it'll come full circle though. Whereas the other one is is sort of focused on this idea of um, hey, I'm going to you know I'm going to do the best for this customer who's right in front of me. Hey, I'm going to, um, you know, do the best for my kids who are right here with me. And so it's, it's very focused on, on, on the local versus the big sort of strategic or highfalutin problems that, that we might be faced with. And so where that, that to me ties into the truth discussion is it also ties into the trust discussion, right? <clears throat> is when, when we, um, when we are closely networked with each other, um, we and we and we have somebody's character to see, right? So we we work with somebody repeatedly. Um, their character comes out, and so then you then you develop a certain level of trust. So if somebody is showing you over time, maybe um, decades, maybe you know, um, thirty years of marriage or whatever it is, that they're trustworthy. They're really trustworthy, right? Versus a um, a way of gathering truth and information that is um you might not know this person from adam but somebody posted a meme that went viral or posted a piece of of data that went viral that that confirms your already existing biases the person you've known for 30 years when they come to you and say hey man like i know i know you're you're living this way or i know you're you're doing this and and i think you need to change um or or let me help you change or i disagree with you on that the the trust that is built up there it's going to be us actually allow us to accept the truth better than the, than the than the person who who's who we really have no reason to trust it. The only reason we're trusting it is it actually confirms what we already thought, right? That's that's yeah. the real reason we're trusting it. I've heard it said, "Faithful are the wounds of a friend." Hmm? Like you know, it, I can't you know if somebody who I don't know, kind of like just what you said, somebody who I don't know says. Hey Dan, you're you're an idiot, and here's why. I don't actually care. Not really. Well, maybe it's like a piece of data that I like. Okay, this guy thinks I'm an idiot, and that's fine. If Kyle comes and talks to me and says, Daniel, you're really screwing things up, and here's why. It's like, okay, Kyle's known me for years. Um, even though I don't, you know, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, all right, let's have a let's have a conversation. And I know he's invested enough um, that even though I'm acting like a doofus, he's he's he actually cares. Right. I trust that he cares. Well, and it gets even deeper than that because because of that investment 
like using our relationship as an example, because of that investment that I have in you, you have an investment in me. And so if you take my input and disregard it, that damages all those years that we've spent building things up together. And so, and so there's a greater loss there um, Mm -hmm. for you in that instance than there is from a, an uncomfortable or a position that's uncomfortable to one of us because it's different than what we, than how we currently perceive the world on the internet. So uh, one place I want to get to, I don't mind continuing to talk about the problems, um, but we don't get paid the big big bucks to find problems. Although defining problems is important and defining the question is important. What do we do? I want to get there as well. I was just going to mention just kind of related to not only the question of what is truth, but like, where do we get our truth? And Daniel, you were mentioning um, about what uh, about a friendship. And so you would listen to Kyle because um, you invested in each other's friendships. And mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the same problem as far as um, people not agreeing on what truth is, because if someone views a source of truth, let's say like a news website as being invested in, in a different ideal than they have, then they'll be less likely to view that as a quote unquote source of truth that they're interested in, in hearing. And so even if it's a legitimate source, if they, if they view that, especially in these days, as a as like a bastion of of being against their ideals, then they'll just dismiss that. And so I think that's another big problem where people differ on where we find truth as well, because mm-hmm. people are so picky about only getting truth from you know. Yeah, I think JT, I think that's actually an awesome point because um, so in, in some of these conversations with my friends, right, the ones that distrust that won't even trust the number of people who have died. I'm not talking about coding deaths. Um, you know, as COVID or not COVID related, I'm saying, did more people die in 2020 than we would expect? <clears throat> and and I would show my little analysis on that and say, yeah, it's, it's definitely an anomaly in, in some some very rudimentary analysis that that I've run. Um, <clears throat> they will they very quickly jump to this place. Well, you can't trust it because it came that data came from 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 the government. And, and uh, so then the next question is like, why, why do you just trust the government other than I think maybe all people on the West coast or all true West coasters are wired to distrust anything large. I think there's, there's something. I think there's a reason that we don't trust the government. And that's because we've been told not to for the last 40 years. Like, I mean, not us. I think we're all under 40, but you know, they've been saying that for a long, like, don't trust the system. And it's like, okay. But I think more than that, the, the system has behaved untrustworthy, especially in the last year. Right. So yeah. the, if, if one day, like, don't wear masks and, and you're going to be, it's not going to, no difference in the next day is like, well, everybody better mask up. Right. And so I think mm-hmm. the, the message for us isn't to hate on the government here. The message for us is to be very careful in what we say. Right. Yeah. I mean, my and, message was to hate the government, but uh, no, my <laughs> message is that don't blow the trust somebody else has in you, right? Don't overexpress confidence in something you shouldn't be confident in. But isn't that how science works? Is that like, I mean, not that you would be confident in your findings, but that you, but that your uh, things have to change because they're doing more research. Like, COVID wasn't a thing a year yes. ago at this point. I mean, it was, but. You know, we didn't really know about it. I had heard of it at this point, just in the like, hey, there's something going on in China. And that was it. And yeah. then, yeah. At the end of the day, but, I guess, good rule to live by is like, your firmness of belief in something should be proportional to the evidence. If there's a little evidence for something, maybe you can believe in it a little bit. If there's a lot of evidence, maybe believe in it a lot. But it, mm-hmm. your belief in it should be proportional to the evidence that exists. And I would add something to that, Jonathan, which, which gets back to our text thread, actually, which is, it should be proportional to to our to the evidence it should be proportional to the evidence as we have the experience and authority to understand it and our confidence should also be weighted by the um the consequences of ourselves being wrong mm, yeah because risk if, yeah by the risk because if even if i'm an authority on something and i can say with 90 9% confidence that this thing is true. If it, if that 1% um, chance of me being wrong ruins me, 
I may want to think about how confident I'm going to be on that position or yeah, we, think of ways to mitigate that risk. I, I was discussing this, um, this very afternoon um, in confidence intervals and um, rejecting the null hypothesis and, and um, what, what level of significance do you, you need to have? Right. And I think that depends on the, the, what the consequences of the decision Right. I don't need to have 95% confidence that I'm choosing the right color of candy, but I should have some pretty high confidence I'm choosing the right wife. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you were going to say that, man. <laughs> yeah. But then you can't, I mean, you can't, ex- never mind. We're, we're yeah. Gonna... I mean, that's a bad, that's a bad analogy because yeah, I get it though. Da- data right. wouldn't really necessarily, I mean, data does have something to help there. You know, I, I just taught some students how to, um, find the probability if they would likely to find a spouse higher, taller, or shorter than them. So <laughs> now we get back into anecdote versus data. Yeah, but if you have enough anecdotes, I don't know how many it takes, but eventually it becomes data. Bias data. Sure. All data is anyway. Never mind. Um, well, no, I think actually what Jonathan's getting at there is a really interesting point because there are methods we can use to reduce the bias in our data, right? So um, I was discussing this with, with some students the other day, uh, sampling schemes, right? Um, it's really easy to have a very biased sampling scheme. The example I like to give is if I'm driving through Eastern Washington, how many samples do you think I pull from the middle of 300 acre canola fields versus the edges, right? It would be significant, right? I, I'm going to pull way more from the edge, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, and so we have to think about our bias and then, and then in that instance, I have to correct for it. Right. Um, and so, and so I think that, um, this is a similar situation where, where like the sum of anecdotal evidence doesn't equal a, a well-structured and designed experiment. I think there's value in anecdote, but I don't think that, um, if you get a hundred anecdotes, it equals one well-designed, um, study with a hundred Test subjects. I could see that. Um, hmm. Yeah. So the uh, one kind of like nuance or difficulty with the confidence related, and I, I, I first want to say, like, we were told what to do and when to do it related to masks, and we were told a specific lie at one point by I think Anthony Fauci. Yeah, like because they were concerned about the mask. I don't uh, remember who that came from but i know that that, that did um, not build trust <laughs> no it did the opposite it did exactly what we were talking about like he used his entire trust bank i'm pretty sure it was anthony fauci you can google check me or whatever um and but regardless of like let's say that they were you know best case scenario they wanted to tell us the things that were correct based on they like they still had to say here's what you need to do and because something needed to be done at some point but this may have to change. And, uh, you know, I think um, some governments, some like states handled it really well and saying like, we're going to expect you to act like adults. And here's the deal. Like we're not, we don't feel, and maybe this is what you would have preferred is that we don't know the best course of action. Here's what we think it is. And here's why we think it is. Yeah. That, that would, that would go a long way for somebody like me. Um, and, and maybe I'm the minority because my brother and I were having this discussion with a friend and the friend was saying they wanted confidence out of the government. And I was saying, well, I don't want confidence. And, and I'm not just saying the government, I'm, I'm saying anyone here, I don't want false mm-hmm. confidence, right? Mm-hmm. I want you to, to assign some, I would have no problem if last January, the government or February, whenever things were going on, they had said, Hey, looks like uh, this is going to be bad. Looks like we're going to be short on masks. Looks like they might help. Don't stockpile your own. Um, give those to the people that, that, that need them. Um, but we don't really know how much masks are going to help yet because some of the previous literature with influenza is a, a bit unclear on that. Um, and, but here's, here's what we're asking you to do. And, and here's our reasons for asking it. That's, I mean, and, and to take this another direction, that's how I try and approach my parenting when, when possible. Right. So my children aren't going to understand. The best bedtime is for you. Here's why I think it's the best bedtime. We're not sure yet, but I'd like you to go to bed. Yeah, exactly. And here's the decision. <laughs> I mean, that, that that's exactly, I mean, along the lines of, of, of sometimes what I try and do is, is say, hey, here's my reasons. Mm-hmm. And, and right now I'm the boss, like you're three. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, but then. Bigger than you, I can but, make you do what I want. <laughs> but but trying try to explain it and, sure. and, and I think that's better. No, I think you're right. 
I came across an interesting quote the other day that I'm kind of curious what you guys think about. I think it was in in the context of the of the or I guess any organization trying to convince a population of something. But it was uh, to capture the public imagination. We have to offer up some scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements, and little mention of any doubts one might have. Each of us has to decide the right balance between being effective and being honest. And so I guess like my question is: Is there ever a a situation um, that especially we as Christians should ever sacrifice honesty for effectiveness? I think that gets back to the weights um, that I was talking about earlier, where if if you see smoke in a building that's made of wood, really dry wood, and you don't know there's a fire, but you saw smoke, it's fine to yell fire and get everyone out of that building because of the high risk of it going up very quickly and consuming everyone inside. Um so that's that's as, one side. Yeah, yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. And then as soon as you you if time allows you to qualify your statement with with some level of confidence, I, I think that's a good thing to do. But I don't know. I think JT has a point that rhetoric matters, right? Mm-hmm. And so frequently the 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 side of truth won't run out in the short run. The the side that has a rhetorical power will will run out in the but short run. In the long run, like people are going to i would like to think that people are generally going to figure out what the truth is and so that's where the time scale matters so in in the case of the fire in the wood building you have a very short time scale between being proved right or wrong but the risk is very high whereas in some other situations you need to play a long-term game with people and that means not trying to win the short-term debate by acting confident when we shouldn't be but like you were mentioning last night isaac being willing to say i don't know and i'm willing to go through that data with you or here's what i do know and we can talk about that to directly answer uh, jt's question um i think there is a point at which you would not try to explain to somebody and I've had this experience where you, it's like, there's not time to explain. Here is what I think is the best decision and we need to do it now or not at all. And this will, you know, and you probably have that experience, Isaac, with your kids. Yeah, it's right. Like, if, yeah. A, if my kid is in the road, I'm not going to explain to them the, the various mass between difference between them and a car. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, I would expect not necessarily that politicians would say, here's, I can't tell you why, but here's what we need to do. But to make decisions and then and then have to explain later and um and that doesn't you know i don't know that i agree with the statement that politicians or leaders or whoever in order to be effective have to make up a you know show the scary scenario and not express any doubt was there a third piece of that uh, jt uh after the being effective and being honest part yeah yeah, so it's, it's a scary, scary, scary situation. Offer up some scary scenarios, make simplified dramatic statements, and little mention of any doubts one might have. Yeah, so I think that you can be a very effective person and and not do those things. But I don't have any specific experience. I just like that just seems evil to me. Is <laughs> like if I'm honest, like that just sounds like a terrible way to to do it. I think maybe one of, um, and this I don't think is within the scope of this conversation, but a, a fun follow-up conversation would, let's look through uh, what Churchill said, you know, at the start of World War II, or when he became prime minister in World War II, and and he used um, some, some that you know, there's that quote, he mobilized the English language at that point, and probably uh, told some things that weren't quite true, but he, he basically, um, you know, at that point, England pretty much stood up alone. Mm-hmm against against what was just an unbeatable um, army <clears throat> and and so I, I don't know if that would be uh, i think a, a good let's, t- let's table that you know the... just going through yeah but evaluating those right because i think we can un- unquestionably argue that he was on the side of right maybe um as anybody opposing him <laughs> can argue that. I think, I think that's that's like one thing I have. Were you just talking about I, how good what what Hitler wanted to do? Was no, I said I said the road to hell was paved with good intentions, and I bet he had good intentions. Uh, um, <clears throat> um, but I think we can unquestionably argue he was on the right side. Churchill was yeah, sure. of, of of that um, of that war. Um, he he was unquestionably effective. Um, mm-hmm. 
the third claim would be, is he on it? Was he honest? You know? Um, and, and so that would be, so maybe that would be want, a great I example. I think so. Yeah. What? I said, I want to think so. I know. I know. But maybe we should try and find out if he was, yeah, you know, sure. and if he wasn't, maybe we should um, evaluate that. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I do think we should try and steer this towards uh, what Daniel was saying. And, and that's, and this is where I always like to, in discussions is like, well, what's, what's yeah. the next step? And yeah. I, I don't, I don't need to gab on that, but somebody else can yeah. go. What do you think, JT or Kyle? I mean, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> okay. What's um? I, I like to rely on people more wise than me. Oh, yeah. So one thing that Kyle and I've talked about a few times is people in our sphere of influence. And I think that's somewhere we could go with this. Yeah. And I think you already started, you and Isaac both started to bring that up um, when we were talking about working with, working with our families, working with customers that a business has directly, as opposed to trying to strategically think out um, what the best scenario is for the most people. I mean, you could almost say, Isaac, I think that that's where, that's one of the areas that Hitler and Mao and Stalin fell down as they tried to, um, at least at the start, well, I guess more Lenin than Stalin maybe, but at the start, create a utopia and it ended up creating hell. Yeah. And I think this, this, and I know I, I've talked about some of this with Kyle, but I'll, I'll just repeat it for the, the purpose of this conversation. I think um, that I, that idea of, um, of really loving your neighbor next door, no matter who it is, and, and no matter how much they might disagree with you on some of these political things um, or, or religious things or, or whatever it is, but, but building those connections um, and, and actually preferably building some connections with people that disagree with you, right? Because one of the things we're talking about is a lack of connectivity between people that disagree, right? So, so what, one of the things that a lot, social media has essentially allowed us to do and really here, I'll, I will point the, the finger at, at Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, because I, I don't see a lot of good coming out of them right now um, is that, that they've allowed us to disintegrate into clans into what I, I like to think of as neo-tribalism, right? We had the, we had tribes become city states and city states um, become nation states and nation states now um, within the last 10 years of my life devolve into um, tribes once again, right? Um, which is a very natural setting for humans to be in. Tribalism, <clears throat> you know, maybe if, if you're into essential oils, you're into tribalism too. Um, but <laughs> that was my inflammatory remark for the day. <laughs> I'll just leave Yeah, right just there. that one, Isaac, just the one. <laughs> um, I think it's actually, so something you said was like, specifically building connections between people who disagree. And um, I was reading, it was probably Barking Up the Wrong Tree or uh, The Knowledge Project. It was probably one of those two, but they had cited a study where once somebody had talked with someone who was on the opposite side of the political aisle, people, and these were people who were politically involved or, you know, whatever, had strong opinions. It took about five minutes for them to essentially form a new tribe with this person and to like, like that's how quickly we form relationships with people who we see face to face. And I think, I think we should take that as an encouragement and, uh, and like almost a, a call to, to form those different relationships because it's, it's actually not that difficult. I know that for me at my work, that's where I am. Like that's where I interact with people the most at this point. Um, but even before all of uh, COVID, like that was where I interacted with people who are the most different from me. And they're, just, I mean, they're just people, right? <laughs> like no matter what they believe for them, you know, with maybe some exceptions of people who are just so entrenched that they can't have a normal conversation about that topic. Um, but for, I mean, and not saying that, uh, I don't know, I guess there's not, it's not that I don't want to write people off, but you can only invest so much before it's like, I, I it's better to spend your energy elsewhere. I don't know. That sounds cold, but well, I think another thing is yeah. is going going into these things not with with the purpose of changing somebody else's mind. As um, that that's fine. I think if you have conviction, which I I believe conviction is very useful, um, you shouldn't you shouldn't have weak convictions, right? And just be washed every which way. But if you go into it with with the attitude, with sort of a humble, I'm willing to learn attitude, and and not I'm going to bully you into my truth. 
that's that's actually very powerful and you'll probably learn something um not not that you'll shift your view completely and mm-hmm. and not that they'll shift their view completely and maybe that is the maybe that is the ideal outcome maybe you are confident in what is right um but that you will come to some better understanding through that interaction with another person um, <clears throat> i think ideally is, the i guess the attitude is don't compromise the truth and which goes both ways as far as you don't want to compromise the truth so you want to keep an open mind to make sure you're not compromising the truth in your own beliefs um, but as well as that would be not compromising the truth as far as what you're telling the other person. And so it kind of goes both ways as far as, I guess, if you're keeping that as your ultimate goal, then you're going to be both keeping an open mind as well as watching discussion and maybe trying to mind, but not in a, in a self-centered way. Yeah. Don't, don't push over to, to please somebody. Right. I mean, even Isaac, you said, uh, you mentioned in there, uh, the phrase, my truth. And, the, and I think the minute in a discussion where you're realizing that you're trying to push your own truth, you need to realize that you need to stop because you shouldn't be trying to push your own truth. You should be trying to push truth. Mm. Yeah. And truth stands up to scrutiny really well. Like, and that's something that you can be confident of. Like if what you, if you honestly, right. And you're, you're not worried about your posture. You're not worried about coming off looking like the smartest person. Like you can receive questions about whatever it is that you think is true and ask them honestly. Networks exist through all history and only recently have they sort of been um, captured by technology in in the way they have. I mean, the the telegraph was a network and and the phone lines were a network and, um, and and so on. And and we were becoming more and more networked, but um, the, the networks of human interactions have been around as long as humans have been around, <clears throat> right? It's, it's just relationships between nodes. And, and so thinking in, in, in a context of networks and thinking of building strength and resilience into your network for any hard time that might come is another thing that I think is actually useful in this discussion. And, and I think one of the things that is that will make a strong network is a network that has a healthy level of disagreement within it so that, not a whole bunch of yes, yes men, right, or yes women, um, <clears throat> but but there there has to be leadership at a certain point, um, especially if you get into a chaotic situation. There has to be firm and immediate leadership, right. But in in many systems, in, and in many situations, there also has to be a sort of a, a diversity of of thought is going to move things along the best. <clears throat> so I think that's where, um, I guess, I if I had to sum up. The, the best actions to take, I would say, build a strong network with a big, with a great diversity of thought would be, and, and don't build it through a platform, build it in face-to-face um, or, or even say, say you're uncomfortable meeting with people um, because of Rona, <clears throat> maybe um, build it over uh, smaller calls and smaller conversations and not over blasting everything out and allowing somebody to actually sort of take your network captive and, and control what parts of your network you're actually seeing, which is essentially what you're doing when you, when you fall prey, I guess, for lack of a better word, to social media is you're basically allowing somebody to captivate the window you have to the world and, and direct it. And I think it's, it's better to put that direction in, in the individual's hands. Um, than in the hands of a corporation that in my mind is trying to honestly just make a profit that I don't have a problem with. <laughs> and Isaac, I think one of the things you, you were throwing out some words there, like individual versus blasted out. And one of the things that made me think about is being patient with developing that network, being patient with developing our knowledge of the truth and not trying to get to um, the final answer too quickly not trying to get to scale too quickly um, because with, with time comes the opportunity to uh, more easily retread paths that were taken mistakenly and get back on the right path. Um, if we run full speed ahead in one direction, it's great if it's the right direction, but if it's the wrong direction, we're just getting that much further from the right path that much faster. And and I think that is that is where this 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 whole thing gets really um, tricky and be, does become something of a dichotomy is 
like we already talked about with the, the burning house, right? Um, mm -hmm. At a certain point, we have to take action on imperfect information. And and then you're just going to have to live with that, whatever those results are, you know? And, and I don't think um, anything can really prepare you for some of those calls you have to make in life. I think parenting is very much that way for me, right? Um, the kid is trying something new that <clears throat> I don't know. And I, I don't know what the, exactly the right thing is. So I can sit him down and I can reason him through why I, I'm going to approach it a certain way. Um, but then I'm, I'm going to have to make a call because guess what? A kid is getting older. Um, they're getting 24 hours older every 24 hours. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. That's why God gave us um, the practice of for asking forgiveness. <laughs> yes. Well, that's very true. <laughs> yeah. I think um, at least in the, climate that we have right now, having a leader who would say, look, I don't have all the information, but here's the call I'm going to make. Here's why. Um, we don't have that kind of leadership in, at least in government. Um, and I think, I think that would be one way for our leaders to instill confidence, to be, to feel like they're being honest. Um, and then I guess as far as doing that in your life, like how, how then does a listener, how then to do the four of us respond? It would be to, you know, when we are leading our families or if, um, you know, we're in a leadership position at work or church or whatever, um, and we don't have all the information, then, you know, to make a call and be honest and then try to be flexible, you know, as, as much as possible. I don't know. And one of the things that came up earlier is, is not, I mean, I think you're right, Daniel, to say be flexible, but we're being flexible not for the sake of our own name, but for the sake of God's name. Sure. Yeah. And for the, the well-being of everyone and, and loving others well. Yeah. Something that I thought was kind of interesting uh, real quick, uh, going back to Isaac, when you were talking about the, the neo-tribalism, was that this, like what we're living in now is the, the first time in history, I guess, that, uh, that the tribalism is not governed from geography shaping the ideals, like where you grow up, but the ideals themselves are shaping the different mm -hmm. tribes and those tribes are dispersed throughout all of geography. And so I think it's maybe one of the reasons for such chaos nowadays is that there's this huge learning curve as a culture where we have to learn how to deal with people who have different values in our own homeland. Um, but I think maybe we as Christians have, a, have an edge in that because we've kind of always been the outliers in society and we've always had to deal with people of different values across geography. That makes sense. Yeah, there's a whole nother podcast wrapped up in un unpacking that, Jonathan. So we've got three different more podcasts that we could do, <laughs> sounds like. I think uh, that's a minimum. <laughs> yeah. Very uh, bare minimum. <laughs> very bare minimum. Uh, yeah, because those three wouldn't open up any more questions. No. Uh, no. Um, is there, do we feel, okay, so, so we changed our format somewhat recently, but do we feel like we have answered the question as best we can, given the time restraints that we have? I have a question. What was yeah. the question? The question was, <laughs> gosh, well, that's the question, isn't it? No, um, I guess that was more of a topic than a question, but we talked about specifically the problem of, um, well, I thought we were going to talk about COVID. I was wrong. Um, instead, we talked about truth and um, specifically like the lack of trust in, in governments and large organizations, those evil publicly traded companies. And, um, and then we talked about how to rebuild some of that trust. And there was, there was a lot more in between there. Yeah. I think really what we, what the, the question, the question is, is, is how do we live faithfully in a time when it is hard to decipher the truth? And when we see um, external forces causing, um, fragmentation and uh, simultaneously uh, as they're causing fragmentation they're, they're causing um uh what's it called well they're, they're giving that's a positive bias right so they're confirmation bias mm -hmm. uh, and so and and how do we how do we live in that time what what are the what are the the the, the day-by-day -day tactical maneuvers you make to combat what we all see as as an issue and so to sum up how we answered specifically the how do we do, how do we then live? It's so it's creating a strong connection with other people and then, and specifically not limiting those strong connections to people who are like-minded, but instead maybe even seeking out people who are different minded and then 
not being afraid to have. Um, and this isn't something that we talked about, but maybe alluded to is not being afraid to have difficult conversations with love, because that's ultimately how you are going to seek the truth. Because if you have truth without love, then it's not real truth. And if you have love without truth, then it's not real love. Unless you disagree about that, Isaac, and you want to talk about that for another three hours. No, I, th- I think uh, I can be on board with that. All right, Kyle, you got anything to add? I was just thinking about Micah 6, 8. What more does God require of us, but to do justice, to love mercy and to walk humbly before our God? I think it it came down, the answer of what to do really comes down to those three things, especially at least as I think of it, walking humbly and not trying to set myself up as like this paragon of confidence mm. in things, yeah. in any one thing, but instead seeking first the kingdom, because that's mm. the one thing I can boast in. Yeah. And you have a, a high confidence in. Jonathan, do you have anything you, you want to add? You kind of sparked off a little bit of a conversation there, but I think we're we're pretty close to the end here. Yeah, I don't think so. I, I wish I could have uh, participated more in the conversation, but Every time I kept wanting to add something, the audio would cut out. And then <laughs> the conversation was in a completely different spot than where I left it. And I was like, well, I won't throw in that thought. Uh, okay. JT, I have one word for you, Starlink. Is that a Wi-Fi booster? Dude, no, it's Elon Musk. Oh, oh, it's Elon Musk's thing. Well, Dude, hey, I just... My own house, my own house. Coeur d'Alene. There you go. Coeur d'Alene with Starlink. That's right. Um, I just want to say thanks. thanks. Thanks, guys, for the conversation. And um, really appreciate having you on. Uh, and this is the very first uh, guest. I mean, second, first, second guest thing. This is gonna be the first one that's published. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens with the uh, recording that Isaac is saving here. Hey guys, it's me, Daniel, again. Thanks for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, if you liked having us having guests, let us know. And any other feedback that you might have. Um, preferably just text Kyle.